sermon today is based on this Bible reading from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Uh, it's kind of a crazy vision that he has of a valley full of dry bones, and it just, it's, we need to pay attention to what happens to those bones, what God tells Ezekiel about those bones, and what he actually does. And it has everything to do with the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. And then I'll preach on it after I read it. From Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning at verse 1. So this is Ezekiel speaking. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, now God's going to explain all this to Ezekiel. Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So how would you respond is if this afternoon uh, you caught video footage on social media of an Islamic extremist terrorist group like ISIS and that they had actually taken control of the capital of our country, Washington, D.C. And they had entered the Capitol building, the White House, and the Pentagon and captured them and captured all the government and military officials, including President Trump. It would feel pretty scary, I think. And then not long after that, as you're tuning into this footage, it, we start to see videos not only of that, but of ISIS overtaking every major metropolitan area, including Austin. And now we're really scared, and you're starting to make plans for what to do in case, and packing, and talking to family, and how do we, how do we escape? What happens? How do we get out of here? And uh, an hour later... 
your front door is bust open and ISIS terrorists come in and take you captive and put black hoods over you and take you to Libya and put you in a prisoner of war camp and there you sit, you and your family. The first year, you're just totally shocked. How, how could this happen? And during the first year, you're also seeing and hearing about back in the United States that the ISIS is taking over courthouses and turning them into compounds. They're taking over jails and prisons and putting those who resist in as prisoners in there. They're beheading people. Um, they're getting away with terror in your homeland. Ten years later, you've given up hope. You're still in the camp. You, you don't catch much news of what's happening in the United States anymore. 20 years later, children of United States citizens born in the POW camp in Libya, and now they're teenagers, they have no idea what a Memorial Day picnic is. They don't know what July 4th fireworks are. They've never been to Deutschenfest. They, they are not, they, they don't know American culture. They're, they've been born in this concentration camp and, and they're not really U.S. citizens. 30 years after you've been in, the, in this camp, in this prisoner of war camp for 30 years, someone who says they're the, the U.S. ambassador comes and visits and says, it's time to go back home. How would you feel uh, 30 years later after all that? I, I think, I'd, I, first of all, I'd feel like, dude, you're crazy. I have no who, who, idea who you are, but you're not the U.S. ambassador. And secondly, what's home anyway? You're going to take me back to what? It's almost as if this is my new home. That right there is exactly what had just happened to God's chosen people, the Israelites. And Ezekiel is like the U.S. ambassador whom God sends. Uh, the enemies had come. They had captured Jerusalem, the capital city. They had taken many of the people captive and t taken them into exile. Thirty years after they went into exile, God sent Ezekiel to the people of Israel in exile to say to them, it's time for a bunch of you to come back home. It's time for a remnant to return. What did they think? You're crazy. And what is our home? We don't even have a home anymore. That's the setting now for Ezekiel chapter 37. So before I get into the, the text, I think we need to pause and ask this question. And it's a good one and it's a common one. And we need to ask it all the time because the answer is clear but difficult. And the answer is this. Why would a loving God who has said that, he, that he's the God of the, of the Israelites... And that he's a mighty and merciful God, why would he allow them to go into exile? If, if he's on duty, if he's in charge, why does this happen? That's a great question. What I think typically happens is that people, even I, ask that question, and then we're, we're not ready for the answer. So if we're not ready for the answer, better not ask the question. But we're asking the question, so here's the answer. And what I'm going to do is this. I'm not going to tell you what I think. I'm going to read to you directly Verses that I've picked out of the prophet Ezekiel's book, the book of Ezekiel, and these, these are God's, all of them are God speaking. And God's going to tell us the answer to the question, why would you allow 
the Jews to go into exile here. These are people you love. Why do you allow bad things to happen to your people? Here we go. God's speaking now to the Jews and to us. You say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear, O house of Israel, is it not your ways that are unjust? Right? So we accuse God of wrongdoing, and he says, I'm not the imperfect one, you are. Secondly, God speaking, I will repay you in accordance with your conduct and the detestable practices among you. Then you will know that it is I, the Lord, who strikes the blow. So God sees in us and pays attention to our imperfection and to the fact that we sin against him. And it's serious. And he says, I love you so much, I'm going to strike the blow. I'm going to do something about it. Back in my day, that meant the wooden spoon on my behind from my mother. Sorry, Mom, but it's, it's true. All right. Next, now God describes the detest, what he calls detestable practices. Okay? He's talking about Israel now. He says, they, the Israelites, have committed adultery with their idols. They even sacrificed their children whom they bore to me as food for them. Literally, through their infants into the fire, the fire god Molech. They defiled my sanctuary and desecrated my Sabbath. Right? God continues, says to the Israelites, you have forgotten me, declares the sovereign Lord. That God's not on their radar. He's not part of their lives anymore. They're sacrificing to idols. They're not listening to God. They're not doing God's business. You've totally forgotten me, God says. So what does he do? says, I will drive you out of the city and hand you over to foreigners. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Who was in charge of the capture of Jerusalem and the Jews going into exile? Not, not their enemies. God sent the enemies to do God's business, and it was God's business that had them captured and taken into exile. Now, did you hear there? Uh, pay attention to Why? so that you may know that I am the Lord. God pushes them away to bring them near. That's God's work. All right, so that they know he's the Lord. Finally, here's the promise now. After all this, God says, I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered. So they needed to take this time out, so to speak. And then God says, I'll bring it back. I will give them, God's people, an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. They will be my people and I will be their God. That's what God wants more than anything, is to be your God, is to be in an undivided way, your Lord and your Savior, with nothing else pushing him out of the way. That's what he wants. And he will do anything to make that happen including putting you and me in a timeout too, if that's what it takes to push us away in order to draw us near. So, when it comes to the Israelites, the Israelites were experiencing a lifeless and hopelessly dead end, not because of the exile, but they were experiencing this dead end for getting, right, they were experiencing it before the exile. See, they had forgotten the Lord. 
they, they didn't know him. They didn't teach him to their children. They didn't live in his ways. They'd forgotten him. Their heart was beating, 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 but not in trust and love for God, in trust and love for their idols. But God had not forgotten them. His heart, every beat of God's heart is always for his people. And so he, he put them in a timeout. He put them into captivity. That's, that's the why behind it. God sent them away in order to have them back with undivided hearts. That's his business. He made their bones so dry that nothing could satisfy their thirst except his life-giving water. He made their bones so dead that nothing could give them life except the life that God gives. And he made them so hopeless in this dead end that they, they couldn't believe in anything except only him and his words. That's what he wanted to accomplish. So, so now... Where are you and I in this? What, what in your life has become lifeless? Your job. A relationship. Uh, a life of godliness that includes, maybe it's uh, uh, pr- your prayer life. It just feels lifeless. Uh, maybe it's group Bible study or personal Bible reading. Maybe it's worship here. When was the last time you really felt worshipful? worshipful? Maybe, maybe it's been a while. What in your spiritual life feels lifeless? Or where in your world is there a, a, a hopeless dead end? Like you're, you, you can't figure it out. There, there's no options. There's no answers. It, maybe it's a, it's a legal dilemma or a financial deadline. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's an unfulfilled dream of some kind. It's hopeless. There's no answer. It's a dead end. God, God is there at the dead end where you can't go anymore. And guess what? He's there. And he says, I have a secret for you. This is not a dead end. It's a U-turn. And you needed to get this far so that you could turn around and you could rebound, so to speak. And so, with, for believers, there are, there are no dead ends. When we have a Savior, Jesus, who went to the cross and then to the tomb, and then those were, right, those were not dead ends for Jesus. People hopelessly thought that they were, but Jesus rose from the dead this, the tomb was not a dead end. The tomb was a U-turn for Jesus where he turned around and then rose in glory to the Father by the power of the Spirit. And he says, when you believe in me, when you're a Jesus follower, you don't have any, none. You have no dead ends in your life. They're all U-turns. And the Father is waiting there as, as we've gone that direction. And, and he's given a sign, sign after sign after sign in his words saying, be careful, don't go here, watch out. And we ignore the signs and we end up at a dead end. We can't go anymore. And, and, and then he's there. And in his grace, he forgives us and says, I'm here to turn you around. This is no dead end. This is a, this is a U-turn now. Head back that way. And we go back and we see on the backside of all those signs Signs of God's mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and his work 
that says, now you're going my way, you're going my direction. Um, look what he says here to, to the people of Israel about a, a, a dead end turning into a U-turn. He says, that, then you, my people, verses 13 and 14, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I, and I will settle you in your own land. There's even a practical impact to it. I'll settle you in your own land. There's a spiritual impact and a practical one. Spiritual issues make a difference in our lives. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it. God lets us run out of answers. Why? So that we know and believe that he is the Lord and our answers are not. God lets us run out of options. Why? So that we know and believe that he is the Lord and our options are not. Our, our understanding and our wisdom is not the Lord. God lets you run up against a wall without anywhere to go. Why? So that you know and believe that your determination and your direction are not the Lord, but that He is the Lord. He always wants to be that Lord for you. And He'll do anything so that He stays that way in your life. Three men in the nursing home were discussing death and dying. That's what you do when you're in the nursing home. Uh, and, they, uh, what, you know, and they asked the question, what would you want someone to say at your funeral? And the first one thought, he said, I'd, I'd want them to say, what a great, compassionate philanthropist this man was. He, he was full of compassion, giving. He made a difference in lots of people's lives. And the second man said, I, no, I want them to say what a good, godly husband and father I was and that I was, I was a good example to my sons. And the third one said, I'd like them to say, look, he's moving. Wise guy. Pentecost means that God is saying that to you. Look, as, as lifeless as you feel and as hopeless as it can be, God looks at you and says, look, you're moving. And not just moving, but running. And not just running, but dancing. And not just dancing, but uh, I, I'm running with the bulls, skydiving. I, I, you, energy, there's, there's energy and life in you because of God's spirit in you. And he says, uh, you're moving for sure. I want to show you three specific instances uh, as I get to the last part of the sermon here in Ezekiel so that you really look at these words that God gives to Ezekiel and see how they work in your life, okay? Verses 3 and 4, Ezekiel says, He, God, asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, this is key here, his answer, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. He's like, I, I don't have a clue, God. I, you're asking me? I, I, I have no, how can they, they're dead. They're just dry, brittle bones. I have no, I have no idea. I, I don't understand this, right? You alone know, Lord. And then he said to me, 
prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. God's work is not, is not governed by our lack of understanding. Ezekiel says, I don't, uh, uh, I don't, God, I don't have a clue. You're asking me how these bones, I have no idea. I don't know. I, I have no understanding. And God says, I want you to prophesy to them and tell them they can live. What does that tell you about your prophesying or, or proclaiming? That's what prophesy means, just to tell, right? What does that tell you about you sharing your faith and your belief? You telling other people about Jesus. You praying when, it, when you're not into it. It tells you this, that the work of God is not governed by your or my lack of understanding, but that by God's power, by his spirit, stuff can happen even when we don't have the capacity to get it. Even when we say, God, I don't know what I'm, I, I don't know if I understand. God says, just, just, just speak, just go. Talk to your neighbor about Jesus when you, when you feel like, I, I need more training, I don't know. Put your hands together and pray when you're not sure of the words to say. And uh, God's work is not limited by our lack of understanding. Because God is God. And he says, I'll, I'll bless it. All right, that's a big one. Look at verse 9. Here's the second one. Then he said to me, God speaking to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. The word breath, and the word wind, and the word spirit are all the same word in Hebrew. Ruach. It's fun to say. Say say ruach. Try a little more. At the end, try a little more. Okay, like ruach. Yeah, better, better, there. So an Israelite were here, they would know that you were saying spirit or wind or breath. They're all the same thing. So uh, in, in John chapter 3, right, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, just like the wind, we don't, you can't go to the, the starting place of the wind and say it started here. Or the ending place, you can't capture it. The wind blows and we don't know where it comes from. And the work of the Holy Spirit is mysterious, but it's like the wind Yesterday is windy, right? You don't go outside and say, I'm not in the wind anymore. It's happening all around you. So the work of the Spirit, like air, it encompasses you and it's all around you. And you, and you breathe it. You breathe the, the Holy Spirit's work just like you're out in the wind. And it, it's just, it's going into your lungs and you inhale and you make the Holy Spirit's work your own. That's the picture here of ruach and uh, wind, wind, spirit, breathing. Catch the wind, catch your breath, inhale God. When was the last time you had to catch your breath? Maybe running a 5K, 10K, half marathon, right? Maybe uh, walking out to the mailbox and back, I don't know, but... Uh, needing to catch your breath is a process, isn't it? Especially if you get the wind knocked out of you, that's really scary. 
right? That's, if you get, ever had the wind knocked out of you, you think you're dying. And you're like, I, I want it back now. And you can't, you can't catch it, right? Um, or just catching your breath normally. It, it takes longer than we want to catch our breath to get it back. Okay, and this is my final point. Normally, not all the time, normally, God's work takes longer than we want. Normally. Right, I want you to see now, recognize in Ezekiel here, um, I'm going to put it this way, sanctification, that's, the, that's what we call the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification, m- m- helping us become, right, our four B's here at Holy Word, believe, belong, become, beyond. He's helping us become bigger, sturdier, stronger believers and Christians in his work in our lives. It's called sanctification. That's a process. So look here in Ezekiel. Um, it's printed in, in your worship folders, but there's a process here. Maybe you can just remember this, where God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, and then the, and then the bones come together. Just bones. There's just a bunch of bones that are there. And then, uh, next step, they turn to skeletons, so there's a bunch of skeletons walking around. And then the next step after skeletons, they turn into corpses, but they're not alive yet. So they go from bones to skeletons, thirdly to corpses, and finally they go, they become living bodies, living beings. There's a process in place there. And uh, that's God's work of sanctification in our lives. God is way more patient with us as his project than we are with us as his project, right? But, but you don't microwave brisket. So God's, God's working on you or others around you. It's important to be patient with people around you too, okay? So wives, please, we, need, we husbands need your mercy. Be patient with us. We're working on it. We'll change, but it's going to take a while, okay? Or, or kids or whomever, friends, be uh, uh, grown children who are maybe wayward and drifting and you're, wor- you're concerned about them. God's work normally is a process. Sometimes he works quickly, but it's normally a process. Um, it's cooking brisket over 12 hours, not microwaving rice. Um, it's an oak tree growing over decades and not a mushroom growing in a day. You want to be an oak tree or you want to be a mushroom? So, even taking a U-turn can be a process. I can prove this to you. You just come and ride with me in my truck, okay? And there's this, this certain place I go on when I'm running my errands, and it's, there's a median, and I, and I have to turn around t- to get to a destination. And so I'm, I make that turn, and about 50% of the time, I can make it without hitting the curb on the other side. But half the time, when I'm not paying attention, not doing it right, or I'm in a hurry, I make the turn thinking I'm going to make a U-turn, and now oh, there's the curb. So what, what do you have to do then? I have to put it in reverse, back up. Meanwhile, there's another car coming, and then, or even it can be worse. You're in a tight spot, and uh, I've done this. My U-turn turns into a Y-turn, right? And then my Y-turn turns into a W-turn with a little Z in there. And uh, people are frustrated. I'm impatient. I'm like, ah, I just, I, I wrecked it. But it's, see, a U-turn can be a process. 
and God is patient with you. So as you reach these dead ends, and God is there saying, finally, you've arrived. Now that you're not in charge anymore, we can get to business. Now that you're at your dead end, you have no answers, you have no options, you're up against a wall, you can't get around. Good. Let's get to business. And then you have to, like, turn the barge around in the canal. All right? Be patient with yourself. God's patient with you. Sanctification is a process. Stay in the word. Pray. And God bless all of you and me and our church as we run into dead ends in our lives, in our ministries. And God says, I'm glad you're here. My secret is it's not a dead end, but a U-turn. Amen. Let's pray. God, we think we have it all figured out sometimes, and then we realize we don't have it figured out. We, we just go crazy. We, uh, we get depressed. We get anxious. And all along, you're just wanting us to come to you and say, God, you have everything figured out. We're going to follow you wherever you tell us to go. Forgive us for trusting in ourselves too much, for trusting in the idols of our hearts too much, for forgetting you like the Israelites did. Oh, God, we pray that you just continue to have mercy on us and you wait there when we get to our dead ends. And then in your mercy, with the, with the power of the Spirit, like the Spirit showed to Jesus, uh, who, who died and who came back to life in his tomb, um, that very Spirit, we pray, can give us new life too, can give us new birth on a daily basis as we repent as we turn around, and as we trust you to direct us. Oh, Lord, direct us to new places that we would never even imagine, and direct us to new things that we can do if we follow you in humble faith and repentance and tune into the Holy Spirit's work. Help us to speak to others and to serve others in ways where we know we don't always understand, but we do understand this one thing and believe it, that your work is powerful and your spirit is there. Cover us, Lord, by your spirit wherever we go, and help us share your spirit with others. On this Pentecost Sunday, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.